Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Spider mites, fire blight, spider mites, fire blight. Try saying that rapidly three times. Spider mites and fire blight, they are two very widespread pests on a lot of edible and ornamental plants every spring and summer. How do you identify them? How do you control them? We go in search of answers with America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Labutalon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we're brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. A lot of ways to get in your questions. You can leave a message at speakpipe.com slash garden basics. You can call us or text us with a question. Maybe you have pictures. 916-292-8964. Email fred at farmerfred.com or fill out the contact box at gardenbasics.net. Do tell us where you live because all gardening is local and we want to be able to pinpoint the correct solution for whatever is ailing you in your your garden. We bring in America's favorite college horticultural professor, retired Debbie Flower is here. And uh, Debbie, we have a question from Carmichael, California, which is in Sacramento County from Lori, who writes in to say they're everywhere. And she's referring to spider mites. Their webbing is in the creeping fig, all the succulents, the rosemary, the agapanthus, the black eyed Susan, the mahonia, the lavender. If they grow, if it grows, they like it. I pulled my gorgeous flashback and zeolite calendulas this morning because while they were blooming okay, the foliage was just gross, yellow, gray, and awful. It's like powdery mildew without the fuzzy mildew part. I left them in as long as I could to act as a trap crop, but I couldn't take it anymore. I spray the webs with a hose whenever I have one in hand, but I just can't seem to get ahead of them. It seems the same every year, but now they're on the veggies, on the chard. It's a war. <laughs> what do you know about predatory mites to go after them? And what about neem oil or insecticidal soap? Lori, good questions. Well, the first question is exactly what is causing this, these webs. It's obviously an arachnid because that's what spins webs, arachnid being a spider or spider relative. But the fact that it's everywhere now in her garden makes me wonder why. And it makes me wonder, is it really spider mites? They're very, very tiny. Their webs are not that big. And if it is spider mites, what happened to cause them to be so invasive? Spider mites are notorious for liking dusty places. But not hot places. Well, they not the hottest, but yes, they, they are more active in warm weather than cold. Right. But not hot, hot, yes. So I'm at my house, which is very near Carmichael. I have lots and lots of just regular spiders, all different kinds, but they're inside and they're outside. And so I would want her to identify the pest first before cheating. And we should always do that. 
There were cases when I worked at Cooperative Extension, a nursery sprayed their plants in their nursery with malathion, which is an insecticide. Insecticides in general do not work on spiders or spider mites, but that killed all the predators of spiders and spider mites. And all of a sudden they had a big outbreak of spider mites. So was that a problem? Was an insecticide used that killed some of the predators of the spider mites and allowed the spider mites to flourish? Is it very dusty? She talks about washing the webs with water, so that indicates to me maybe it's not dusty, or is it not spider mites? And if you're watering just the tops of the leaves, you're probably not going to get the spider mites. You probably need to get underneath the leaves with some sort of a hose and a sprayer that has a 90-degree bend to it so you can get under the leaves. Yes, yeah, spider mites are very tiny. You need a in general, especially if you've never seen them before, you need a, a, at least a 10 power lens to see them. If they're plant feeders, they're kind of just sitting there. They have little fat little bodies and eight legs, but there can be a stage in some of them where they only have six legs. That's part of their maturation process. And they are sort of rasping, sucking insects. And so the plants that they're attacking have the symptom of little, uh, it's called stippling. It's little yellow dots all over the leaves. And so that would be an indication that you have a, a mite that is making a web. And only some spider mites make webs, not just a regular spider. And the webs aren't going to be huge. If you have a huge population, they can extend long distances, but the silks are closer together than they are in a regular spider's web. They reproduce rather rapidly, too, when the weather is conducive to it, probably 70, 80 degree weather, and spider mites can develop into adults within 10 days, and at that point they're ready to reproduce. A female spider mite can lay 60 eggs, which will produce 10 male and 50 female mites. <laughs> Sounds like good times. Those 50 <laughs> female mites will then lay 60 eggs each, which means that the next generation will comprise 2,500 females, each of which will lay 60 eggs in under two weeks. So that brings the population to 150,000, just like that. Right. So you can see why uh, using an insecticide that kills other predators of theirs, besides the predatory spider mites that we haven't talked about yet, right? Yes, exactly. And that's there are some predatory spider mites available as long as you can identify exactly which variety, which species of spider mite you have that's causing the problem. Right. And so for that, you need a good reference with a lot of great pictures of different spider mites. And you probably need a pretty good hand lens, too. Yeah. Or you take a, a leaf with the mites on it in a plastic bag, take the whole leaf, maybe even take the stem with several leaves on it. Um, a, a friend of ours used to say, take a, a, a sample the size of a piece of, of letter paper, put it in a plastic bag, Ziploc bag, something that's closed so they can't get out, and go to your cooperative extension office and ask for somebody to look at it. They may have a, and they should have, a dissecting scope, which is a really cool instrument. And it magnifies much bigger than a, a hand lens does. Uh, but hand lens will do it, too, if they know what they're looking for. Oh, I'm thinking about high school biology and <laughs> frogs now. <laughs> or looking at onions. We looked at onions. Cross-sections of onions mm -hmm. underneath those microscopes. Mm -hmm. I love looking at insects under them, especially the small ones. That you see things you just don't see otherwise. How do you know if you if it is a spider mite problem? You, you could take that uh, piece of white letter paper and hold it under the plant, shake the plant, and look carefully at the black dots if there are any on the on the white piece of paper. Hold it horizontally, and if they start to move, 
probably spider mites. Right. You could already have, have predators, although with the population you have, you may want to accelerate that process. But in all cases in the... Uh, all is a bad word to use in horticulture, but in it, when we're using predatory insects to control plant-eating insects, the plant-eating insects sit still because they're eating the plant. The predatory insects run around. So if you look at the back of a leaf and you see a whole bunch of spots and they're sitting there, then that may be the plant-eating insect. If there's somebody running around, then that may be the predatory insect. Mm -hmm. Predatory mites go after spider mites. Gall midges go after spider mites, green lace wings, and other predatory bugs. Right. So if you can see why use of an insecticide would increase the population of spider mites that eat plants because you've gotten rid of all of those other insects. Which brings us back to don't assume anything about a insecticide label. Make sure the pest you're trying to control is listed on that label to control spider mites with a chemical product, it needs to be a miticide. A miticide, right. Yeah. Or she asked about neem oil or insecticidal soap. Right. And those aren't specifically miticides, but they work uh, by harming the or the insect's ability to live. But that's true of any insect that neem oil hits. Right. So, so it would, it, right. That's more of a blanket control. It's yeah. not a specific insecticide. It's an insecticide and a miticide. And that's the other word you need to look for if you're trying to kill mites. And a neem oil can do it, but you have to touch them, which goes back to your getting to the bottom of the leaf, the back of mm -hmm. the leaf, so to speak, because that's where they hang out. And the insecticidal soap would be the same. It's a, probably a good idea, and uh, I used to do this a lot, is to buy a hand sprayer that you pump up with a wand that does have a 90-degree bend in it. And maybe if you have a regular problem with spider mites, you basically put just plain water in there and go around your garden and turning it so that that 90-degree bend is facing upwards, get underneath the leaves, and wash off the leaves thoroughly. For those of you who don't have the big problem, but maybe growing a melon or cucumber, pumpkin, something like that, the end of the season, look at the back of those leaves. You're likely to find, it's, a, <laughs> it's great for teaching pest ID, you're likely to find a, a mite on the back there, just as it can be a whole science uh, lesson, and to use a 10-power lens and look at the back of those leaves. Something fun for the kids at home before you, you throw out that old vegetable plant, shake off the leaves, and see what, see what moves. You, yeah, see what moves. And it's, <laughs> it's the end of the season, and it's... Be because the plant is stressed and it's pretty much done, it's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to treat at that point, but it sure is a good way to look at insects and mites. The other is to prune so that the plant is open and the predatory insects that do exist naturally can get in to predate the mites. That's an interesting verb, predate. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad choice, huh? <laughs> the other is to prune the plant, keep them pruned and open so that the beneficial insects can get in and find the mites and consume them. So again, when you want to plant, don't construct a jungle. Go by the recommended spacing instructions mm -hmm. for whatever you're planting. Don't try to bunch a, uh, a lot of plants together because you're cutting down the air circulation, which can lead to a lot of other problems as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. One thing we didn't say overtly, and we should say overtly, clean up your garden at Absolutely. the end of the season. Get rid of it. 
put it. I don't even think you'd put it in the compost. A lot of that. If you if you have if that, it's a hot compost, yes. Yeah. Meaning that you turn it regularly, you check the moisture, it gets to 140 degrees in the center. That that will kill these things, their eggs and everything. But if it's not, if you just throw it in a pile and walk away, then no, you don't want to put the diseased things in there or insect infested things in there. And there are places online where you can find predatory mites that, again, are very specific and only go after certain mites. So you need to know who the problem child is before you bring in some other kids to uh, deal with them. And we'll have links online to some places where you can uh, find uh, predatory spider mites. And I have used them in a greenhouse and they work great. But you got to know, you got to follow the directions. There will be temperature issues. You can only release during certain temperatures, certain humidities. uh, When the population of the mites, the bad mites is at a certain level and you have to do it regularly. So it's not like you put it out there and walk away. You have to dedicate some time and effort to it. Debbie Downer again. <laughs> Making us I work. I think that stuff's fun. <laughs> yes. All right. Debbie Flower, thanks. Thanks for uh, looking at the spider mites with us. Oh, my pleasure, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Debbie Flower, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, is here. And we get an email sent to Fred at FarmerFred.com from Robert in Lodi. And I must commend Robert for formatting his email to look just like a letter should look the way you were taught in sixth grade decades ago. But it's perfect, Robert. Thank you. He says, hello, Farmer Fred. I live in Lodi which is in California, by the way. Six years ago, we planted two apple trees. One is a Fuji, one is a pink lady. The trunk of the Fuji is about five inches in diameter and is about 12 feet tall. The trunk of the pink lady is about four inches diameter and about 12 feet tall as well. Every year, new growth extends from the tips of the branches. Then that new growth dies back a foot or so. 
The Pink Lady had more of these dieback branches than the Fuji, perhaps 20 diebacks to the Fuji's eight. Do you know what causes this problem? I can attach a photograph if you like. Robert, we may not need a photograph if you if the answer to this question is, does it look like somebody took a blowtorch to those tips? If so, Debbie, what blowtorch would that be? <laughs> a blowtorch except one that didn't burn the leaves. Uh, fire blight yeah. is the what we suspect. And that's a bacteria, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's carried by the pollinator, the bee, from an already infected plant to uh, other susceptible hosts, which include apples and pears, uh, loquat. Cotone aster. Yes. Some ornamentals as well. Photinia. So they have to be, it's called pomaceous members of the rose family are the susceptible hosts. And a pome, P-O-M-E, has that internal structure of the seed cavities, it's multiple seed cavities. My mother used to always ask me if I wanted my apples cut in stars, because if you cut across an apple, you expose those five cavities that have seeds, and it looks like a star in the middle of the apple. That's uh, It isn't always five, but that's the poem, is it has the, that structure in the center with each seed in, in a little space of its own. So the plants we mentioned are poems, and those are the only plants susceptible to fire blight. And fire blight, it's been tried and tried and tried again to transmit fire blight through pruning wounds or injecting the plant with the bacterium, and it has never taken. So it is brought just by the pollinator from an already infected tree to your tree. And so you see the flowers, and then they die back. And the leaves remain attached because the disease attacks so quickly that they don't have time to fall off. And the easiest cure is to go through and cut the dead tips out plus six, at least six inches of the healthy wood. That's because the bacterium is no longer in the dead part. It can't eat anything there. It's dead. It's moving into the green part, and you want to go six inches into the still healthy green stem and remove it so that you're for sure getting all of the bacterium out of the plant and then dispose of those cuts. This is another good reason why we like to promote backyard orchard culture of your fruit trees on this program, where you're keeping the tree at a maximum height of six or seven feet. Because in the case of apples, you get fire blight. Do you really want to get on a ladder and climb up 12 feet or so? No, no. You want to stand on the ground. So if your tree is only six or seven feet, you can control that fire blight much easier and much more safely from ground level. Right. And again, you want to make that cut well below where you see the dieback. Mm-hmm. Six inches, I've heard 12 inches. Mm-hmm. The old recommendations uh, used to include, and between cutting every infected branch off, dip your shears into bleach. It did. But then, I can't remember his name, at Berkeley, did these experiments, and mm-hmm. other people did as well, of trying to infect the plant with a pruning shears or with a hypodermic needle, even in some cases, and they could not get the plant to get the disease. So it appears it cannot be transmitted that way. And by the way, don't ever dip your pruners into bleach Oof. because all it does is it promotes rust. Yes. Really. So, no, you can clean them off with a rag if you want. But basically, if you make that cut six to 12 inches below 
where you see the damaged portions. And then what's important, too, is cleanup, getting rid of all the fallen parts that are infected. And probably, Robert, you've seen in the tree those parts on the ground. Just get them up, put them in the trash whenever you see them and uh, keep the area clean. And it it may involve, too, uh, replacing mulch that you may have underneath the tree as well because uh, the winter rains can splash those uh, spores or whatever bacteria is back up into the new growth. Yeah, there is some talk that things, other things that can cause the fire blight to spread include anything that causes fast growth in the plant. Like nitrogen fertilizer? nitrogen fertilizer, yes. Yes. It sounds to me like they had the disease last year, correct? Every year, new growth extends from the tips that new growth dies back a foot or so. Yeah. yeah. So every, every year for the last uh, six years. Okay. So it is in the system of the plant, and you may see what are called cankers on stems in other places. Cankers look maybe wet, maybe sunken parts on the branch. Those are probably fire blight as well. So you would want to cut those out. And Make sure you're doing your copper sprays, your fungicide sprays. It is not a fungus, but it is recommended that, or a Bordeaux spray, it is recommended that you make sure it gets all of its other pest control treatments. Would an oil spray be effective in no. the wintertime? No. Right. It wouldn't hurt for other reasons. Yeah. When there's no leaves on the plant, you know, aphid control, that kind of thing. But again, that would be a wintertime application, yes. not in the summer. No, these are not summer sprays. No. These are winter sprays. Exactly. And I would suspect, Robert, that either you or one of your neighbors has some plants, too, that are getting infected by fire blight. Came from somewhere. Bees can fly quite a distance. Yeah, yeah. My neighbor has it in a loquat, and I gave her the advice, and she has done nothing about it, and I have apples. So I'm making sure my apples stay very short and... Mm-hmm. I go out as soon as, you know, bloom is there and then go out daily or every second day to watch to see if those flowers die back. And you get this scorching look of a black stem with the brown leaves still attached. I have not seen it, but boy, you can be sure if I see it, I will take it out immediately because that's the easiest way to control the disease in the long run. It is most noticeable in the summertime when those branches stand out, Mm -hmm. those burnt branches. But Mm -hmm. the actual process begins in the spring. Yes. So be on the lookout. It's fire blight. Be on the lookout for it, Robert. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. You're welcome, Fred. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. 
On Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast, we get your nose twitching. It's garden shows for the nose, plants with enticing aromas. It might be the flowers, it could be the leaves. There's plenty to choose from. Plus, we explain why familiar scents immediately transport us back in time to recall hopefully fond memories from years ago. It's the way the nose is wired to the brain, and the nose takes a different pathway than the other senses. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's out Friday, July 15th. Find a link to it in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net. That's where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at gardenbasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. That's at gardenbasics.net. For current subscribers, look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter on Friday, July 15th in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday. And it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.